0: This episode of the Ed Curation Podcast is sponsored by Annetta Ed. Annetta Ed removes the work of navigation support and content curation from educators using digital learning resources and enables pre-K through fifth grade students to independently navigate websites and apps in a scheduled, directed journey. The Washington Business Journal recognized Annetta as a solution making learning digitally easier as a top 10 startup to watch in 2022. Aneta is currently offering a limited number of free pilot partnerships. Learn more by searching A-N-E-T-A at edcuration.com. You're listening to the Ed Curation Podcast. We bring you stories from educational leaders about the instructional movements, resources, tools, and practices that are reshaping learning. This is your host, Christy Hemingway, and our guest today is Dr. David Bain. David has served students in a wide array of educational environments and roles. He was a high school chemistry and physics teacher, and then the principal of a high school of 4,500 students, He moved into district leadership as the K-12 Director of Curriculum and then spent about 10 years as Associate Superintendent and Chief Academic Officer in a number of urban and suburban school districts in both Chicago and Northern Illinois. We wanted to speak with him because he has built comprehensive intervention models in the areas of literacy, mathematics, and English learners for several districts, and we knew he could help us and our listeners get smarter about the broad topic of intervention especially now when the needs of our learners are more pressing and diverse than ever i asked him to start by sharing a little about how he came to his current role as the senior vice president of innovation and analytics at the learning technology company houghton mifflin harcourt
1: I've had a deep interest in analytics and measurement, and my uh, doctoral research is in uh, measuring students, predominantly students who are involved in intervention programs, using a wide variety of assessment systems.
0: Yeah, and when you talk about intervention, just for our listeners, you're talking about students who are receiving intervention for all kinds of varieties of reasons, right? It may or may not even be academic. Am I right about that?
1: That's exactly right. Our our expertise is obviously with academic or curricular based interventions but when we think about the MTSS models or RTI models that we see implemented across the country you're absolutely right there's there's non academic supports that are included in those structures it's just not where where we engage with school district leaders. Our focus is, is purely on academic interventions. And and I, I love the question because our understanding of interventions has so fundamentally changed uh, in the last 10 years. We used to think about what would be needed for 5% of our learners, or what would be needed for 15% of our learners. And, and I think now that with the bringing technologies in the classroom, we can really think about personalized learning pathways for all students. And we can we can address very small learning gaps, even in high achieving students, or we can think about interventions and MTSS models for gifted students that are hinging and leaning on enrichment and accelerating their learning, even if they're already above grade level. So I think our idea of what an intervention is or what a supplement in the classroom is has just fundamentally changed now that we have uh, more technological resources at our disposal.
0: Well, and it's so, it's it was never more important than now. I think we're facing some challenges that we really haven't faced in the past, but we have come so far. I mean, I remember when I was first certified as a teacher and I student taught in a classroom where we had several special needs kids, and it was mostly the pullout model at that point still, but they were starting to teach about mainstreaming and how general ed teachers could better respond to the needs of all of their students, you know, and all of the different learning needs in their classroom. But it was pretty analog. and it was just it was just getting more kind of more hands and eyes and ears in the classroom and technology has brought us so far. I want to veer just a little bit because you sent me a copy of Houghton Mifflin Harcourt's most recent educator confidence report. And the statistics are really a little stunning on that. Your research indicates that three in four educators feel negatively about the state of the teaching profession in the U.S. and that their overall confidence continues to drop. Can you talk a little bit for our listeners about why teachers are losing confidence?
1: I think that's just an incredible spectrum that goes into that number as far as why teachers you know, see themselves and the challenges of the profession as they do. But I want to lean into one that I think is probably maybe the least talked about. And I think that that's the one that's associated with how complex it is to be a teacher today. That when you think about how difficult a job it is and the difficult ask, you you walk into these incredibly skill diverse classrooms with, with students with so many different learning needs. And given so many different resources that don't speak to each other and asked to respond to so much data that you're not sure what's the most important data here and what's not the most important data. And I think the ask of our educators is impossible. It's it's just too complex for any normal human being. And there's no question, there are amazing, amazing teachers in probably every school in this country that take that impossible ask and deliver it. But I think the challenge with their Work-life balance then is probably really incredibly difficult. Uh, We've always known that teachers are like nurses; they're the most hardworking professionals and put in more hours per week and more hours per year than any profession. And that what we've seen is that the classroom has just become more and more and more complex, and the challenge of responding to student needs and expectations has continued to increase. And that's an element that i think we we don't spend enough time talking about is what could we really do to give teachers the tools they need to really do what they do best which is create relationships with children provide the right kind of learning experiences for children you know and and make that that job more doable in the classroom
0: yeah and so the technologies that you're referring to are they support all of those things that you just talked about um and it's almost like covid And the pandemic became the straw that broke the camel's back in terms of teachers who are already teetering on the brink of maybe leaving the profession or losing confidence in their own profession. But technology can do a lot to support that and also to support the learning loss that we're facing now because of the last two years.
1: I think that... The power of the last few years is teachers have become much more comfortable with using technology in the classroom. The vast majority of teachers say that not only am I comfortable, but the vast majority of teachers in our report say it's essential that they can't do their job without technology, which is dramatically different than I think we would have received five, 10 years ago with doing this. But I think that what we've lost is this. In some ways, the technology is making their jobs harder, and sometimes it's making it easier, and we have to kind of pay attention to both. Like, and my an example might be when you think about the widespread use of computer adaptive tests, 90% of all school districts use some type of computer adaptive tests to approximate the learning skill levels of students. That creates an incredible amount of data. That can almost become paralyzing to educators so now i have students who are significantly above grade level students on level students who might be a little below students significantly below and then when you allow that data then to populate standards reports now how even some of my most at-risk students might be able to do some grade level standards or vice versa it creates a a challenge of then how do you respond to that data so Most districts have adopted the diagnosis of the problem technologies. What we don't see a lot of districts really truly embracing is how do you link solutions to that data to become teacher assistants or to help the teacher in creating personalized pathways for kids or to give teachers insights on what resource would make the most sense? Yeah, it seems like we've done. The one side, which is diagnosing the challenge for educators, but we haven't simultaneously connected it with all the ways that technology can can make the job of responding to that data easier.
0: Yeah, David, and I've been that teacher and it just felt like we got all excited about data and then I got buried in a mountain of data and had no idea how to make it actionable because I'm just trying to connect with these kids. And um function in my classroom every day with with all of their different needs. Right. And so it's really that how to make it actionable that is empowering to teachers. The data itself isn't empowering. The data itself can be disempowering because you just feel so overwhelmed by it.
1: That's right. And we don't want to take away the insights the teacher has, because the teacher has incredible insights that's different than the, what the technology has as far as the student's learning needs and, and how best the student might acquire that knowledge. And so I think we want to think about the technology augmenting the teacher, making the teacher better at what she does naturally, but, but not taking away or diminishing it off from the teacher. And I think now when we start to think about the, the newest generation of solutions that use AI technologies or machine learning or we start to see recommendation engines, even if they're as simple as saying, you know, based on what we see on this lesson tomorrow, here is our recommended groupings based upon what the data tells us. But let's not take away the mouse click from the teacher that says, no, I don't think that that kid should be in that group because of what my eyeballs tell me. Right. So... So I think the power is, can we can we leverage this technology in a way that gives the teacher new insights, suggests new approaches to, to get to the end goal of student learning and personalized learning pathways? But can we do so in a way where the teacher is never threatened by the technology? and And also that we never even unintentionally send the message that the technology would be a better teacher because it wouldn't.
0: So can we? How do how do we do that? And and can we do it in ways that don't have kids on screens 24 seven?
1: I think that's a real challenge. I think there's two two components to that question. I'd love to tease them apart if you don't mind.
0: Sure. Yeah.
1: So I think that what we've seen is a Incredible acceleration towards what we call connected solutions, meaning solutions that speak to one another. So if I'm a teacher and I have multiple supplements in my classroom and I have a computer adaptive test and I have a core content, then instead of these things each being isolated, each producing different kinds of reports, none of them ever working together to inform a holistic view of the students, I think we're seeing rapid acceleration to uh, vendors like HMH creating what we're calling connected solutions, where the supplement, the intensive intervention, the core product, the assessments all create a 360 degree of the student view of the student, but also then responds by saying, here are the resources, regardless of the category, that make the most sense for that student, and here's the pathways and the groupings to do that. That's incredibly powerful, and that should be part of learning activities but I like your other question. I don't want every moment of my learning experience in a classroom to be dedicated that. I still want students interacting with text. I want them working in groups on authentic problems. And that's where I think we have to think about, you know, where does technology make sense? Where do we have learning experiences that are best delivered through the technology? But where do we have learning experiences that are best experienced with, with a different a different model or a different approach? And, and really giving teachers some autonomy to find that the right balance for their classrooms.
0: Yeah, because teachers don't want that either. We we don't want to be that person who just stands in our classroom and assigns and oversees. You know, we want interaction in our classroom and we want it to be a, a lively learning environment. Um, so can you get really granular for us for just a minute, David, and talk about what that actually looks like in a classroom that's functioning in that way and responding to all those different diverse needs? What kind of tools are they using? What is the teacher doing?
1: I think first and foremost, there definitely is a reliance and an expectation that, that there is high quality universal screening, benchmark assessment data, that there is some level of insight coming in from an assessment view. Now, we want to find the right balance where we're not just constantly testing kids, or we're not taking days out of the school year to test children. But there is some level of screening data, but more importantly, we're collecting assessment data as students do the learning experience themselves. So as students are interacting with a learning activity, capturing the data, watching and measuring their change in mastery of skills, their speed at which they respond and allowing this data to flow through in a way that does provide insight. But then the next step is, the teacher needs resources that connect to that data. So if her if her core content and her, her reading and literacy resources don't at all speak to that, and she has to make all the connections herself or go look up in a table what this score means and why this score would convert to this lexile, which would convert to this re- reading resource, that's the impossible ask. And, and 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 ultimately what the teacher would find out is she has 30 kids with 30 different scores that need to be starting in 30 different places. And so we need that these pieces speak to each other. But then it's not enough just to connect that assessment data and those insights to that core resource. We know our classrooms now are combinations of supplemental resources, intensive intervention resources, There's times of the learning day where students interact with kids that are in different spots in their learning journey and might have different skills or expertise on standards. And there's times in the learning day that we can think about how to really target instruction to specific maybe learning gaps or enrichment goals for a student. And so, again, I think that the the goal is to could we leverage platforms in a different way to help us to do this? I think we saw In the last five to eight years, many schools started to adopt things like single sign-on and learning management systems. And I think the approach or the hope was by putting everything on a common learning management system, it would make it easier for a teacher. But I think we were kind of kidding ourselves to a certain degree because it really became like an assignment management system, right? Yes, it was easier to log in. Yes, it was easier that I could access my book from one vendor versus another vendor versus another supplement those things it might have been easier to get in but when the teacher still had to log and reproduce seven different parent reports from seven different resources and interpret and triangulate and know that each of these had its own pedagogical approach it just it just exacerbated the ask of the teacher
0: if you're listening and you're wondering how How do I make the tools in my classroom work together and talk to each other in seamless ways to make my job as a teacher easier instead of harder? Today's sponsor has the answer. This is Dr. Afua Banful, the founder and CEO of AnetaEd.com, and we are proud to sponsor this episode of the Ed Curation Podcast. Aneta is the Greek word for easy, and at Aneta Ed, we believe in making it easy for educators to give students differentiated learning experiences and choice to promote student ownership. Aneta removes the work of navigation support and content curation from educators and enables pre-K to fifth grade students to independently navigate any collection of links, either in a scheduled director journey or for any time access. Annetta closes the last mile between availability of digital learning resources and makes them truly accessible and used in practice. You can find Annetta Ed at EdCuration.com. Like Anetta, David's research is also focused on figuring out which resources work best for different populations and how to best deploy those solutions, like finding the right recipe.
1: I think that recipe informs both the teachers who are cooks and the rest and the teachers that are chefs. I think they're in probably most of us who are teachers, there were times in our career we were cooks and there are times in our career we were chefs and that might even change lesson by lesson and unit by unit. (laughs) um, But ultimately if, if that recipe of approaches to a novice teacher or a teacher, maybe teaching outside of their expertise area, could become slightly more prescriptive, then it can come in that way. But if it also, for for teachers with expertise in the content they're teaching, can just inform a framework or provide options for approaches, that can be incredibly powerful on its own.
0: This idea of finding the right recipe for each population or individual student circled us back to our rethinking of intervention in general where we as educators used to think of intervention as a kind of triage for students who are achieving multiple grade levels below. Resource allocation is high for these, so only extreme cases qualified for this teacher-intensive model. But David's research is shifting that viewpoint and the model.
1: We really saw that those kids who are multiple years below grade level, they rarely caught up with teachers alone unless they just had that super special unique teacher it was really that teacher plus intensive support research based intensive support which was the magic it wasn't the software alone it wasn't the teacher alone it was the combination of the two
0: so that's surprising to me can can you say that again
1: so for students who were significantly at risk who had significant deficits in their learning they needed that combination of teacher plus technology in order to catch up When we saw implementations of technology alone, kids struggled. When we saw teachers really try to differentiate for students multiple years below grade level, the vast majority struggled. When the two worked together and learning models were established, we saw great gains. That's, again, where we go back to these models. Can we have a classroom where a teacher is given a core curriculum with that core curriculum There's adaptive supplements that create personalized pathways for practice or personalized practice, but also could those two resources also combine if that student's receiving intensive intervention and could all three of those work together to provide that 360 view of the student. And that's where I think the holy grail is, is this idea of making sure that we're leveraging all parts of the school day to work together to fill the learning gaps and catch students up.
0: Am I right in thinking that all of these, everything we're talking about really requires one-to-one technology for, for students?
1: It is. And probably we would have never accelerated to that being realized had it not been for the pandemic. But with that, I think we also learned the computer alone, the computer plus hotspot alone didn't help teach kids on its own either. It was just a new portal for teachers to interact with students. But now what we, we see is that most new content by providers not only deliver content, but also measure student learning simultaneously.
0: Yeah. So in sticking with your your cooking analogy, <laughs> your, I'm thinking that these kind of technologies, one of the reasons that they're becoming more and more essential is because of the current teacher shortage. And the fact that you do have a lot of teachers who would fall into the cook category, right? Because they're maybe teaching in areas that they weren't trained for that aren't their own area of expertise. Um, And these resources are designed to kind of make up for that.
1: I think it does. I think it really works with across the spectrum of teachers. I think for teachers who are gifted and experts in their field and creative and are always thinking about the next best way to engage their students, the technology just unlocks a new world to allow for different kinds of learning experiences, scaled learning experiences. Students communicate with kids from around the world or to work on projects in virtual platforms. So technology makes those great teachers even better. But you're right. I think that technology also can provide scaffolds for novice educators or educators that are teaching outside of their, their natural content areas or are teaching students with real significant challenges, then that, that, that technology can augment that teacher's expertise for those areas also.
0: Yeah, and there's there's a sense of relief around having these technologies come to market and become available because I've been that teacher who just felt like I don't have the tools to respond to all the needs that are put in front of me and I don't have what I need to be successful in my job and nobody wants to be in that situation. Right. But we all entered the profession because we did want to be teachers and we did want to have an impact and we did want to connect with students. And these resources allow us to put the focus back on those student connections.
1: I find it very interesting when we look at metadata associated with our programs. It, we always start with this idea of when teachers chose activities, which combination of activities elicited the biggest learning for different different profiles. That's very interesting. But it's equally interesting to see what gets selected by teachers, what does their eyeballs tell them will work best or engage the best. And and I think that that teacher curation of material and content is also a way so that teachers not only will be able to see what what activities are associated with giant learning gains or bigger learning gains, but what are other teachers choosing that have similar challenges in their classroom or the maybe a similar size classroom. And so I think our, our hope for the technology and platform-based learning, you know, can really expand the conversation and obviously the insights.
0: As we're coming to rely more and more heavily on technology in our classrooms, we're all endeavoring to find a balance between screen time with more active learning and between self-paced, personalized learning with a collaborative, interactive classroom community. Knowing that technology can't replace the teacher, I asked David to give us a picture of how to integrate new technologies like artificial intelligence to enhance rather than detract from a collaborative relational learning environment. And what are some of the benefits of doing so?
1: Quite a few years ago, we had a, a flag. Uh, intensive intervention product. And what we learned was there were certain aspect of teaching older learners who had never learned to read um, phoneme skills. And that because the dynamic of the teacher to an older student, a teacher to a 14-year-old or a 16-year-old who was learning to read for the first time, some of the work around direct instruction around phonemes created challenging relationships between the teacher and the student. And so the research that was done actually showed that there were certain parts of instruction actually occurred better with the technology because the student wasn't embarrassed to receive the instruction through the technology, but it also alleviated the teacher. So the teacher could focus on more grade level appropriate, age appropriate tasks in whole group and small group that she was working while the things that might have created a more challenging dynamic between teacher and student was actually delivered by the technology.
0: This example really hit home for me because as a literacy coach, I have seen this exact problem in classrooms and districts all across the country almost every day. How to provide intensive intervention for older students who are not yet decoding without embarrassment. Knowing that there are AI solutions that can respond to this challenge fills an essential and a really difficult learning gap. So I'm a teacher and I am working with maybe a smaller group of students in my classroom. And I have another group that's working with my AI assistant. Yeah, yeah. What are they actually doing? Are they sitting around a monitor and there's
1: an avatar working with them? In some places, absolutely. Okay. Yes. In some places, um, little Amira will pop up on her screen and and she'll be her the actual teacher for the student and the student might be able to design her, and she's going to help along the practice and pick learning activities. And she's going to actually create reports for the teacher about what the student covered, but also how the student progressed on the standards along the way and provide that insight. She also can do some things the teacher may not be able to do, like she actually may serve as a dyslexia screener because right then while the student is working on the learning activities she's actually screening the student for dyslexia without the student even knowing and then creates in the practice. And so you're right there is a time that that, that there that child would be in a small group would be interacting with a screen but it'd be a different type of interaction than just logging on to get practice problems, yeah. right? Or just extra reading passages. That the that, but now the learning experiences are much more dynamic.
0: Okay. I'm wondering about the practice of and now I'm just indulging my own curiosity at this point but um I'm wondering about the practice of reading conferences that we've done with our students because I I have an English language arts background um and it's always a challenge for teachers to get around and conference with all of their readers during their independent reading time and assess their reading levels and you know monitor their track their books and their pages and all of that. That could all be done through an AI tool that you're like, what you're talking about.
1: Absolutely. And I, again, I don't think it is ever meant to replace. I think that there's power in a teacher hearing a child read and then having insight in what that child needs, absolutely. But wasting hours and hours of instruction time for teachers to do running records or collect Dibbles data to on all of these students, you know, reading out in the hallway to a stranger or substitute teachers. I know all the awful things I did as an administrator to try we to We didn't collect have that any
0: medicine. other tools. That that's <laughs> what we had. We did the best with what we had, David.
1: <laughs> that's exactly right. <laughs> but now, but now we could take that burden and and what allows that to that to do is it allows the teacher to reallocate that time that she spent collecting all those reading records. Now she can do instruction, she can actually teach. And so I think that that's a perfect example of of how technology makes the teacher's job more efficient, more powerful, and probably the data itself is more accurate in the vast majority of cases. And also it's more consistent data to compare classroom to classroom or district to district to really think about what students need.
0: So give um, the teachers listening a little bit of advice. Give them a few tips on how to best integrate intervention tools into their general ed classrooms?
1: I would ask questions of my principals, my assistant superintendents, and anyone that listens is if um, I'm asked to test, ask how that test data should connect to my content. You know, what's the hope, right? Um, And if, if there's not an easy way to go from data point to resource or from data point to instructional strategy, you know, I'd say, you know, let's explore how to do this because I want to be data-driven and data-informed, but I also, I need it to be easier to go from data point to what I should teach tomorrow differently, because otherwise it's just taking time out of my classroom. And I think that's first and foremost. And then when I think about then the amount of resources that are going into classrooms, we, we see an incredible growth of supplemental products that are going into schools, I would ask questions of, you know, how do you see these things working together? What are the common pedagogical themes? How does that fit with our approach to learning? So what's the connective tissue between these things? Because it may not be that any one of them is right or wrong and some of them might be appropriately matched. It could just be their approaches are so fundamentally different that it's it's impossible to pull off in the classroom. I think that it's fair. And lastly, we know that there are, There's so many asks of a teacher, but there's only a few professional development times and there's only a few institute days along the way. So I'd ask questions about how can the same technology be leveraged as part of my own professional learning? How can I create my own teacher learning pathways and interact with other teachers? And again, that the good platforms that are there, that are bringing these same technologies together, are also creating these same sort of, of teacher connection and teacher learning pathways and ongoing coaching. So instead of my two institute days in August before I start school and then I I just have to go swim for the next 180 days. You know, maybe I can get just-in-time PD right when I have to differentiate a lesson in a new way or I have to deliver an instructional approach I've never done before. And so really, truly integrating professional training into my learning platform. And I think it's yeah. actually appropriate for teachers to ask for that.
0: It is. And, and it's important that it be much more real-time than it has been...
1: He has to strike the right balance between what's important globally to learn and what I really need to know personally. And I may that may be different learning pathway for me than the teacher next door or down the hall. Just like we we can't ever discount the teacher's eyeballs on the students, we can't discount the teacher's eyeballs on themselves and what they need in order to enhance their practice.
0: Yeah, and that's very validating. So thank you for saying that. My takeaways, I feel like at this point are. We need to start thinking differently about intervention from something that addresses the needs of our struggling learners to just a more personalized approach to all of our learners when we use that word intervention. And I don't know if you're familiar with Curriculum HQ or the Collaborative for Student Success, but they're doing a lot of work around making sure that high quality instructional materials get into all schools. And They shared also a really startling statistic with me that um, only about 30 percent of our classrooms in this country are really utilizing what would be considered high quality instructional material. This kind of intervention strategy really can only function if it's layered on top of an already high quality evidence based curriculum.
1: Absolutely. There's no question about it. Not only evidence based curriculum, but evidence based approaches to that curriculum. And there is a dramatic need to curate materials.
0: Pardon my interruption, but since David brought it up, I can't help but remind listeners that this is our exact mission at Ed Curation to curate high quality, evidence based resources, to do all of the legwork for you and gather all of the relevant information in one easy to search marketplace. So if you're part of the 70% of educators in the U.S. still cobbling together your own resources and tackling the impossible daily puzzle of how to meet the needs of all your diverse learners, please come set up your dashboard on EdCuration and make your and your students' lives better.
1: But simultaneous to that, we also have to do better at providing guidance as far as what supplements, what resources make the most sense for what which learner profiles. It goes back to our analogy earlier in the talk about. You know, not every non-proficient student needs the same thing. Some students truly need early foundational reading support and direct phoneme instruction. Some students need early comprehension strategies. Some students just need extra exposure to complex text. I think we have to do a much better job of helping educators understand which resources make the most sense to tackle the challenges they're seeing in, in those different learner profiles. And Yes, it, so it's
0: tricky because we are really moving away from the one-size-fits-all boxed curriculum. But, um, but you also don't want to have just this mishmash of supplemental tools that may or may not meld.
1: Right. I think it's bringing in the right combinations of materials and instructional strategies, but those pieces that you select speak to one another. And that's the, that I think is the expectation. They come together to better inform the teacher on not only the needs of the student, but how the student is responding to that instruction.
0: So where do we start? What's the first step in our recipe?
1: Being a data assessment guy, I think it's it's ensuring that we are collecting enough data to estimate the needs of students. But then we also need resources and allow that initial estimate to continue to be informed day to day. And so I think that that is where uh, we should be looking for school districts to look for learning platforms that can capture standards-based data as students do different types of learning activities in different environments to create a more robust view of the student. And I think the next step is is making sure that anything that we adopt moving forward, it's not done in isolation because we know our classrooms aren't done in isolation. So if we do bring in a supplement, or we do bring in a core material, we ask questions of how will that interact and work with other resources that we have in place? How will it work with our assessment system? Um, And how will it be supported through our professional development system? And that's where I think that, that the hope is great of the trends that we're seeing
0: David, is there anything that I didn't ask you that you feel like would be important for our listeners to know?
1: Obviously, we're in a climate where there are unprecedented numbers of kids multiple years below grade level. And some of our you know, historical approaches about using maybe only reading specialists or pull-out models, they're just not scalable to bring enough kids up. It's not that they don't work. It's just that maybe they can't address the scale of the challenge right now. And so I think rethinking what can be done in the tier one classroom, rethinking about how um, assessment data could inform intensive intervention models done if we created different learning routines in the classroom, we make small group instruction a norm in a regular education classroom. I think it really can unlock uh, what we used to do down the hall, but we do actually in the regular classroom. But I think simultaneous to that, and I think we really hit on it is that's a big lift and a big ask for an already overworked, over pressured, overstressed teacher workforce. And so if we're gonna do that in the classroom and we're gonna bring in another complex component in the regular classroom, we've gotta make sure that it's a little easier to deliver.
0: It's encouraging that that teachers are able to come into the classroom with increased supports and the ability to respond more effectively and more comprehensively. We used to just try to have a really big net, you know, and try to scoop in as many kids as we could and kind of shuffle them around. And we knew that they weren't, we weren't gonna hit all the targets, but we, we had to call it good. And that that's just doesn't have to be good enough anymore. We can do better.
1: That's right, that's exactly right. Yeah. And we can't we can't do any, we shouldn't do anything that diminishes from the human to human interactions of teacher to student and student to student that is essential in our classrooms.
0: You'll find David Bain along with the resources from Houghton Mifflin Harcourt and the research referenced in this episode in the episode notes. You'll also find today's sponsor, Aneta Ed, the amazing resource that enables pre-K through fifth grade students to independently navigate websites and apps in a cohesive, personalized journey. All the things David and I were just talking about. Site Manager for Good Projects Learning, Jalila Wiggleston, says, The students are able to pick what they want to do, and even though they are learning, they love it. And I don't have to run around signing them all in. You can learn more about Anetta Ed at EdCuration. Simply click the Connect to Vendor button and learn about their pilot opportunities. Thanks for joining us today. We hope you'll tune in again next week to reshape learning with the Ed Curation Podcast.